going welcome 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 to another episode of not rocket science podcast about the intersectional relationship between business culture and technology technology um i am sean sean cully your host once again how are y'all doing I'm recording on a Sunday night here in New York City. It is fall mode, full fall mode. New York Marathon was today. Couldn't cross the street. Have to wait a few hours before you can cross the street because the marathon happens to be right up the block from me on 4th Avenue in Brooklandia. And yeah, every year we got to deal with this. We got to deal with all the runners coming through and the entire avenue is blocked off. So you have to walk seven or eight blocks down and then cross over at the subway station because it has an above ground it's one of those weird subway stations that has a um above ground like uh, walkway over the street and that's the only way you can cross the street for hours every year on i guess the first sunday of november it's how it goes is what it is it's all good um today on the show I thought about doing a little change-up, a little curveball, more of a story time, less like business, value, UX design, blah, 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 All right, we do that every week. That's all super fun and good, but I think it's always good to switch things up a little. So this is going to be a little more story time, a little more cash, a little um, less... A less business heavy from a a strategy standpoint or like a, a current event standpoint. It's more just of a story time, casual kind of thing. You know, Halloween just ended. Thanksgiving's coming up. We're in this kind of waiting period. So I just want to keep things light, keep it fun, and talk about old job horror stories. We've all had them. If you haven't had them, God bless. God bless if you have not had old job horror stories. But just for a little context, right now, I do do UX design. Um, I design apps, websites, things like that. I've been doing it for a little while now. Uh, I mean, there wasn't like a hard starting point for me. It was kind of something where I did some rudimentary web design at a job where I had to do a bunch of different things, and then that kind of evolved, evolved, evolved. And then I went to a boot camp in 2014, I think. And then that's kind of where I fully went into it. But before that, I was kind of having this steady, small kind of creep into web design. And then that evolved into a, a usability focus when it comes to web design. But before that... Before all that, I did quite a few jobs, um, some for a day, some for years, but 
we've all had horror stories, so I just feel like it's kind of like a timeout episode where we just kind of, or I guess I just talk about just some of the worst jobs I've ever done. Um, just terrible pay, terrible conditions. Sometimes the conditions were okay, but the pay was bad. Sometimes the pay was better, but the conditions and circumstances were bad. You know, there's a lot of combinations that fit into this, but I'll just start with my first job. This was not my worst job, but there was one reason why it kind of sucked. My first job ever, I was 15 years old. I was a sophomore in high school, and I worked at, these don't even exist anymore. I worked at a, uh, like a mom and pop video store, like a old school video. It was called Town Video. And it was an old school video store. Um, and this was like 2005, six, somewhere in there. So it was like towards the end of video stores anyway. Like it was the very last leg of those types of video stores being a viable business. Because like Netflix was already around, starting to gain steam. And a couple years later, pff, that was a wrap, son. I remember when that place shut down. It is now an Asian fusion restaurant in the same place. But, uh, yeah, this was in my hometown. Got the job. I don't remember how I got the job, to be honest. I think I just kind of, like, went there, one went in one day, and the owner was working, and I just asked about applying, and I got it. I, I think they tried me out first, and then it was okay, and I got the job. But anyway, I won't say this was my worst job ever, but it wasn't great for a couple reasons. One was the owners had this thing in their heads where they thought, if employees were able to sit like on a stool or something, it was, you know, weakness or something. So we weren't allowed to sit. So our shifts were usually six hours and we had to stand the entire six hours. I used to go to the stock room on purpose just to sit and restock things. Um, that was like my favorite thing to do just because I was able to sit down. But other than that, when you're customer-facing, you were not allowed to sit, which was a little stupid, a little crazy, and it made the job suck. The other thing that sucked was the computers where we looked up movies. was about as old school as a mom-and-pop video store business model. It was an old, old computer from the 80s running on, like, DOS. It was one of those computers with the black screens and the, and the green uh, green type. You know what I'm talking about? black with green letters it was that and it was so bad and so old that i struggled figuring out how to work the damn thing I, it took me so long to figure it out because everything had a catalog code and they would just write it in pens like like little sticky notes in pen and then laminate the pen and then just stick them all over the computer um for certain like specialized things like the candy that was right at the counter not the movies obviously but it was just a very outdated, backward system that was so old from a tech standpoint that I just had trouble even doing it. And then um, I remember the day I quit. The day I quit was because I was in the back, in the stock room, probably trying to sit down. I remember I was stocking Kit Kats. I was stocking Kit Kats, and all of a sudden, a mouse popped out and like somehow the Kit Kat, one of the Kit Kats ripped or something, like it chewed out of a Kit Kat or something like that, and it just popped out, landed on the floor, and ran away. 
And I was like, oh, and look, I've lived in New York for a while now, so I've seen a lot more mice. I'm a little more used to mice. At that time, I was still a baby when it came to that stuff. I I didn't freak out. Like, I didn't scream and anything, everything like that. But, like, that was enough for me to go. I was already getting left, less hours. The boss was getting on my nerves. I was kind of sick of it. Um, I also knew these video stores didn't have the longest shelf life. You could already feel the momentum going towards Netflix and online streaming eventually and things like that. So I was just kind of done. But it was really about hours. I wasn't getting hours. And I was just kind of bored all day um, because they were getting less and less business. So it was just a lot of sitting around. It felt kind of like Clerks, the movie Clerks. But yeah, when that mouse popped out, that was a wrap, son. And the not sitting and the crappy computers were, you know, kind of the other element. So that was my first job. That job, I did that for a little while, over a year at least. I don't really remember, but it was like late high school I was doing that. Um, I had another job where I was a camp counselor after that, and I did that for several summers. That was actually a pretty good job. Can't lie. But uh, I had some other bad ones. The next bad job on the list I would say is uh, something I tried out for one night and I was working at a fine dining establishment called The Manor and it was in the town next to mine and this place was like an old super ritzy like mansion I guess you could say it was on a golf course and I don't know what it was for a long time, but they eventually turned it into kind of like this fine dining restaurant slash banquet hall. Um, so I, there would be like a dance floor. I think people did their wedding receptions there. And then there would be like this like really nice fine dining restaurant thing. So I went in uh, to do, I guess, waitering or at least busing. I started by busing, eventually waitering. And I think there was some French guy that ran it. I think his name was Andre or Andres, some French dude. And uh, the energy at this place, uh, I felt like, you know, in Harry Potter, when you, uh, when J.K. Rowling was writing chapters about going to like where Professor Snape taught or talking about the Slytherin house and what's going on with Crab and Goyle at the Slytherin house. That was the energy. That was the vibe of this place. There was a heavy Slytherin vibe. Like, the place itself looked nice. The restaurant looked nice. It kind of looked like, um, you know, somewhere out of the Sopranos, like where the Soprano people would go after they, like, hit, put a hit out on somebody and it went successfully, like... It was nicer than the standard mafia restaurants in The Sopranos, but it looked kind of like the nicer ones, higher end. We all had to wear these, like, fake tuxes. It was ridiculous, but there were a few things bad with this place. First of all, you could tell it was a toxic atmosphere right off the bat, and then the kid that was kind of, I was shadowing when I came in that first night, was basically telling me, oh, yeah, the people here are terrible. It's awful, but the money's good. You can make 150 a night. Um, on a good night, and that's pretty good because I was like 18 at the time, 19. Like I was, this was like college years. Um, this was like, yeah, I think I was in the summer of whatever year in college. But the money sounded pretty good, but that was about it. So here's the thing: the layout of this place was terrible. You had to walk out of the restaurant through the banquet hall 
to go into the kitchen to get the food. The kitchen was a disaster. It was just pure chaos, everyone yelling, pans falling. And then I had to carry these massive trays through the banquet hall. So like a wedding would be going on and I'd have to carry this massive tray of food through the wedding reception and then through doors and then into the other side of the mansion. That was where the restaurant was. And these trays were so heavy. I never felt so weak in my life. I was barely able to carry these things. You had to carry them so far. Like the layout of this place was not uh, conducive to efficiency um, or being an efficient operation. It was just kind of a mess. I could barely carry the damn things. I was making mistakes with preparing the napkins. I remember just doing everything wrong. And... You could tell, like, the waiters were undercutting the bus boys because employees were telling me that. And they were telling me on the first day, like, watch out for this guy. This guy's going to talk shit about you behind your back and blah, 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 blah. And just all this stuff. And I just felt like it was a place where there might be, like, dead bodies, you know, buried somewhere. Or just some criminal enterprise in the basement. And this was kind of like a front. Like, it had that kind of thing going on too so the whole thing was just bad across the board and I think I got paid maybe like $70 that night so I didn't get paid much and I had to wear this stupid fake tuxedo that was choking me and I was just like I'm done here I lasted one night I never felt so much like a weakling in my life just like a wimp just copping out on something but I'm like this sucks it's in a crappy area on a golf course next to a Hampton Inn hotel I feel like there's dead bodies being laid somewhere. I can barely carry these damn trays. I'm wearing this stupid fake tuxedo. Like, the whole thing was a mess. So I basically, I had to buy, like, this tuxedo thing from them, I believe, or at least get it. And then I just remember driving back, dropping it off. Andres, the French dude, wasn't there that day, so I just kind of threw it on the table where all the wardrobe stuff was and left and ghosted him, and that was it. Um, I think I left a voicemail saying I quit, but that was terrible. That was probably the worst job. I think out of all the other jobs, if I had to, I would do all the other ones as a one-off. I would not do that one again. It wasn't the juiciest story or anything, but that was just the worst job I ever had. That was the worst job. It was, so that was the worst. Um, the next one on the list, probably second-ish worst, I would say, was actually also only one day, but it was meant to be one day. So this wasn't a job that was like at a place where I had to show up. There was no shifts or anything like that. This was a one-and-done. What this was was me being a production assistant on a movie set. So this one's funny because so my friends who were going to film school at the time, were doing PA jobs on the side for money. Um, And I was hanging out with them, and I was staying over at their place in Brooklyn, which is now the building that I live in and am recording in, fun fact. And the way the PA game works is you're on these group messages where... At a random time, a message will go out be like, can anyone work at this day at this time? Um, And they got one really late, like 3 in the morning, 2 in the morning, something like that, for a big shoot. And they're like, we're looking for extras and, you know, random people that can help. So they asked me if I wanted to do it because I was right there. And I was like, sure, yeah, I need money. I'm 19 or whatever. Um, And it turns out the movie was the first Captain America movie. 
and there was a big scene. It was like one of the finales, and we don't know what we're doing, where we're going. Eventually, we get the time and location and everything sent to us, and we drive there. My friend had a car. Location, Times Square. Time, 4 a.m. So, yeah, at 4 a.m., and this was like early May. It was like May, but it was still cold. I remember that. We go to Times Square. It's raining. It's 4 a.m. raining. It's probably like 45 degrees or so. And we get there. We huddle up with all the other PAs. We have the head honcho PA guy come and kind of tell us what we're doing. And basically what the job was, was a 18-hour shift where in Times Square we were assigned certain areas to do lockdowns. And what lockdowns basically mean is you stand there and you basically strongly encourage people because you can't not let them in, but you strongly encourage them not to come in for XYZ reason. There's a movie being shot. Um, we can't have people in the scene because there's extras and blah, 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 blah. So you have to give them the whole spiel. But if it's a place like Times Square, you cannot not let them through. You don't, film companies don't have permits to do that. So you do your best. But the problem is, is when it's Times Square, it's Times Square. So for 18 hours, I was on various blocks in Times Square telling various people, almost all tourists, by the way, that they couldn't go to Times Square on their vacations because a movie's being shot. I had everybody. I had people from Korea. I had people from France. I had people from England. I had people from other parts of the United States. I had people from South America. It was just a very interesting cultural experience because I've never had to interact with so many people from around the world all at once. And it was funny because people's attitudes drastically changed based on who they were and where they were from. The worst by far, by far, were the older, like, Asian grandmas. And I say that because I have an older Asian grandma. But it was true. Like, the Korean grandmas were the least tolerant because... You knew they knew some English because you heard them kind of talking with English words at a distance. But then when you start talking to them and you start saying that they can't come in, they do this thing where they just kind of like look at you, convey in kind of like this look where they're just kind of like annoyed by you because you're speaking to them in English that they don't understand you and just walk through. They, like, they pretend like you don't really even exist. They were the worst. The second worst were... I mean, stereotypes are kind of true, guys, but, like, the French families were the most aggressive when it came to arguing. The nicest people were probably the Brits. The Brits were really cool. They just wanted to know what the movie was and who's in it. That was kind of in the thick of, like, watch. Like, they were were pretty cool about it. And we had to give them a fake name. It was something like the Iceman or something stupid like that. But I think with the British families, I gave them a little more info. Because they were actually nice about it. Like, I think I told them Samuel L. Jackson was in it or something like that. And that got them all excited. Because, you know, it's a vacation. They're shooting a big action movie. And it was a big scene. It was, like, one of the finale scenes in the final battle or whatever. Um. So, yeah, that sucked. That was an awful experience. And then at a certain point, I could take a break from doing those lockups. But I had to, like, 
carry coolers to the director's tent area and like of so in Times Square with people walking around I had to like lug these big soda coolers through all these people and um bring them to you know the head honchos or whatever the only thing that was cool was when I did that and I was walking away I walked right past Samuel Jackson he was staring right at me like I was coming this way he was staring at me walking the other way and he was in his full uh his full what's it called outfit marvel outfit with the eye patch nick nick fury right yeah nick fury he's in his full on nick fury outfit all done up exactly like how he appears in all the marvel movies and the two takeaways i had from that was one he's tall he's a tall dude i'm six two and he was he was definitely taller than me he has to be at least six three um but it felt he felt i guess in his like suit and everything it felt even bigger and then two, when he has his makeup on and everything, he is shiny. Oh, is he shiny? He doesn't look as shiny on, in the actual movies, but on set, like his bald head and everything, it was just glossy, just glistening, glistening. He looked so shiny, very healthy looking. He looked healthy, but he looked shiny. Um, but anyway, so that was cool. And I did it with my friends. So that was kind of a fun experience because now it's like a story we all have. There's like this nostalgic thing. The other thing that sucked was I always got paired with crappy, crappy, crappy partners. When you do lockups, you usually have a partner. And um, the first dude I was paired with actually was cool. He was this very outgoing gay guy who was kind of didn't know what he it was his first time too doing this. But he was very outgoing. So it was kind of like doing PA a PA job with kind of like like Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye or something. So that was kind of fun. He was very um he was very good with the tourists, but I had the early morning shift with him. So it was like from four thirty AM to like ten or something. And then I got paired with this other dude that was just terrible. Terrible. He was like a child. He did and he had no idea how to talk with any of these people. So I had to do everything. So that sucked. And then the weather. It went from forty five degrees and raining in the morning. And by the time we left, which was around 10, 11 o'clock at night, it was like 75 degrees and a steam room. It was steaming. It was so hot. It was one of those days in early May where, like, the temperature drastically changes by, like, 40 degrees. So I'm pretty sure we all got sick from that. So, yeah, that was another terrible job. But at least as a story, and I got to see Samuel L. Jackson. And I went in Chris Evans' trailer for a minute too he was on set i didn't see him but i went in his trailer for some reason i had to like get a clipboard or something so that was bad third job that was bad was actually my first real job um i I was temping at first and then it turned into like a real thing and it eventually turned into where i was designing websites so this was like my first job that was the initial transition into doing ux and this was at a uh non-profit it's a nonprofit for standard accreditation. So technical standards, like if you buy a fridge and you see that Energy Star uh, logo on your fridge, that means it met the standards that are issued by commissions like ISO and places like that. It means that that you know for energy, for uh, energy efficiency, I guess. So I worked at the firm that kind of accreditates all this stuff in the United States, and I had to do um like basically file management like 
like so I had to store contracts on the software called uh, FileMaker, I believe it was what it was called. And that was just dry. Oh, was it dry. I turned it into a game. I had to file these contracts in FileMaker, which is basically just cataloging, just doing an online catalog where I, um, you know, like write in the title, write in the names of the parties, like the two companies in the contract and blah, 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 blah. You do addendums, things like that. But it was just the most boring work possible. So the way I got through it was I made a game where I'm like, I got to go, I'm going to nail like 70 of these today. I'm going to go and just bang out 70 contracts today in one day. And that was kind of just what I did. I had to like gamify it and try to like beat my best. And eventually I got moved from that to something else that was a little more interesting. But my first foray into the adult work life was me commuting from New Jersey to Midtown Manhattan to do contract cataloging on FileMaker Pro where I all I did all day was write in contracts onto the software. Yeah, not fun. But, you know, I was in a cushy office. Um, you know, I had I was able to take a lunch break. I was able to sit as opposed to stand like at the video store. There were no mice jumping out at me. I didn't have to tell tourists they couldn't go on their vacation. I didn't feel like there was dead bodies buried somewhere by me or I felt like I was going to get ripped off by the waiters. Like there was, you know, it was it was okay. It was okay. It was just very dry. No super interesting stories. Made some friends there. So it was okay. And my bosses were very nice. So that wasn't a terrible job. It was just very dry. Let's just put it that way. I felt kind of like the dude in office space at that one at a certain point. You can only file contracts for so long. That's why they're usually temp jobs. They're temp jobs for a damn reason. All right. All that being said, this is going to bring me to the last job, old job horror story, I guess, is what we're calling this episode. This one was is the juiciest. Saved it for last because it's the juiciest. So I have a friend, like a family friend. He's like an uncle to me who basically is like one of the most connected guys in Jersey. He just knows everybody. And he reached out to me and was like, you're good with computers, like... Which, how would you feel about working, um, doing lights at a nightclub? And I was like, I don't know anything about lights, but you know, at the time, I was trying to find another job. I was kind of in between jobs. I was like into it, but I didn't feel very confident in my qualifications. Put it that way. Um, but he was like, it's okay. You can come down. They'll teach you. The girl that's doing it now is still here. She's going to move to D.C. in a month, but she can train you for the next month, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Sometimes you just got to throw yourself into situations. So I do it. This is another um, s- suburban town location, but there's a big nightclub, and it's affiliated with one of the bigger nightclubs in, at the time in New York City. So, you know, it had it had credentials. There were a lot of... Big DJs that would play there. Pharrell went there. Diddy's been there. Uh, not Beyonce, but the other one from Destiny's Child, Kelly Rowland, performed there and had a nip slip, I believe. Like, the place had some, you know, some juice to it. So I go there. Um, I meet 
the GM, the GM is, you know, in a suit, basically looking like a mob kingpin. I meet the owner. It turns out the owner of the club is basically a rich trust fund baby that's doing this as a project for fun. Um, also had a terrible coke and hooker addiction, um, I, as I was to learn later. <laughs> but basically... I get trained on doing these lights, and the whole thing is crazy. So the the owner wanted the best lighting rig. So the software they used is called Grand MA2. Grand MA2 is the biggest, most well-known, most uh, technically advanced lighting software that exists. It's German, I believe. And it's the lighting software that's used for, like, major arenas. So, like, when, you know, there's a Knicks game at the Garden, they're doing the lights with Grand M.A. Or, like, when Billy Joel does a concert at the Garden, whatever. Um, point being is it's meant for, like, 10,000, 15,000 people. And we're doing it at this tiny nightclub. I mean, it's not a tiny nightclub, but, it, you know, a normal night would have, like, 750, 800 people. Max capacity was in, like, the 1,300 range. Uh, not exactly Madison Square Garden. So I go in, I learn basically just the bare bones of the software, enough where I can kind of just use it with the presets in place and just I can control certain things. They were running it off of a uh, a sample pad, which is not best practice, but got the job done for what they needed. So I was basically, at, and I was really into making beats at the time, so I was kind of playing the lights on the sample pad almost like I was making a beat and trying to match the actual song that the DJ was playing. This job was cool in the sense that I was working in the VIP area at this club. You know, I got to meet a lot of big-name DJs that, like, are main stage at Electric Zoo and places like that. Met Usher, um, met... Had a lot of other kind of big names floating around. Like Kyrie Irving was a regular at that place because it's by his hometown. So during the offseason, he was always there, for example. So, you know, it was kind of cool in that sense from an excitement standpoint. But God, was the work bad. When things went bad, things went bad. And I could give a million examples of this. That includes, uh, you know... Riots almost breaking out because we booked Don Omar. Remember that guy? Like that song. Yeah, this was like 2013, the peak of Don Omar. And he no-shows. And it was a Halloween show. It was sold out. And he was in the parking lot telling the general manager he wanted more money to go on stage. It was basically a finesse job. He did this at multiple clubs across the United States. But he was trying to finesse the club for more money. Club couldn't pay him more. He wanted 90 grand for an hour, I think. Hour, hour and a half, something like that. He wanted 90 grand. All right? I'm throwing it all on the table right now. And uh, basically the club said no. There was no concert. There was almost a riot. So that was one example. But that was kind of a horror story. But I, you know, I wasn't involved that much. Um... It was just, that was more of a business thing, but I was told by the, my boss at the time, like, go up to the top floor, we might have a riot here. And by the way, the club eventually shut down because there was a massive fight. After I left, 
that lasted like three hours. Um, multiple security guards at the club had to have surgery because it was so bad. Um, basically, it was like a gang fight that lasted hours. And after that, the club had to pivot, and they are now a banquet catering hall as well for weddings, bar mitzvahs, and things like that. But that was not the worst thing. The horror story of all horror stories was this. I will never remember it. This was uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving. By the way, that the Saturday after Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving, whatever that day is, is always the biggest club day of the year. A lot of people think it's you know some other time, New Year's Eve or something. No, no, no. Thanksgiving weekend is the Super Bowl of the club industry. It is the biggest club day, by the way. If you just fun fact of the day, that's the biggest club day. So it was that weekend. It was a Saturday. There was a big electronic DJ playing. His name's Dyro. Um, he was very big at that time. He was kind of on the come up. Um, you know, big room house kind of boom, 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 like that kind of music. But uh, he was playing, and everything was going routine. You know, nothing crazy, nothing crazy. I'm doing my thing. Felt like kind of like a routine night, right? Routine night. Nothing crazy going on. All of a sudden, the lights go out. All the lights go out and the music stops. And there is a power outage. Now, just for some context, my job was to turn on the power, basically power the club, do the lights, set all the lights up, work the lights, work the video screen, and then work the effects, like the smoke machines and all that. I had to do that too. I had to set those up in the back. There were these big nitrous oxide tanks. They weren't using CO2. They were using, I think, nitrous oxide. Or, I'm sorry, I think nitrogen oxide. Basically, they it's not the standard because it's more dangerous. And when you turn the thing, um, turn the tanks on, sometimes you'd burn your hand. They're so cold. And doing that in the winter outside in like 20 degree weather in Jersey kind of sucks. Kind of sucks. Not so fun. But that's not the point. The point was I'm responsible for literally everything that involves electricity at this club at the time. So the lights go out. The music goes out. Oh, I also set up the speakers sometimes, by the way. But uh, yeah, so the light goes out. The music goes out. Everything goes out. Everybody looks at me. Everybody. The DJ. This is a guy that main stages at Electric Zoo. His manager. My boss, who's kind of like the main sound guy, but who he kind of like owned all the equipment. So he's kind of there to just make sure everything works right. He was looking at me. The general manager was looking at me. The owner of the club was looking at me. The only people not looking at me are the club goers, but they're all like, you know, but they're all like, what the hell is going on? So instantly they're all just being like what's going on what happened what happened what happened happened? i'm like i don't know i was just standing here doing the lights so what i did was this i'm like all right i gotta be away from all these people and i gotta look like i'm checking things instantly i knew something was wrong like i i knew this wasn't like me just like forgetting to turn something on or anything like that because everything was on and it shut off so i just was like i'm gonna check everything so i ran 
to every outlet, flipped the outlets, flipped the outlets, just ran, basically ran to get away from everybody, more or less. Um, luckily, the way it worked where the lights were on all different floors, there were three floors, four floors, including the basement. So I ran to the basement, and then I ran up through the other side to the second floor and checked the lights there, turned all those on and off. Then I went to the top floor, restarted the computers. And as I'm doing this, keep in mind, I got to run through a crowd of drunk clubbers with no music, no lights, can't see that well. It's like the emergency lights are on. They're all just drunken in the way. I'm trying, I'm stressed out out like stressed out because i know cokehead owner is throwing a fit behind me and i'm just trying to like navigate through to get away from him first and then secondly try to solve the problem even though i know something's like wrong wrong and just trying to get through all these people to even get to the lights is a challenge so imagine at your job some like catastrophe happening and just to even inspect the catastrophe you have to navigate through a bunch of like drunken college kids and it's like a hot nightclub probably a hundred degrees because of the body heat oh did that suck but anyway i check everything check everything check everything eventually the general manager finds me pulls me aside he's like nothing you could do man there's a power outage on the entire block the movie theater down the street is also completely out right now there's nothing we could do so i was like i was relieved but also kind of concerned so i'm like so then what's happening with the show and he's like i don't know we're figuring it out and then like two minutes later the lights went back on i was able to reboot everything and it went okay but i have never in my life had a work experience that stressful and i don't think i ever could again to have and this was like sold out like i said this is the biggest weekend of the year so imagine 1,300 people being freaked out by something, a DJ that you're paying probably like 45K for an hour set, his manager, your bosses, one of them totally coked out of his mind, all looking at you to figure out a problem that you, A, aren't qualified to figure out, B, cannot figure out because it's well beyond you. Like those 10 minutes were the most stressful 10 minutes I think I've ever experienced. Ever. Ever. Um, so yeah. I just wanted to wrap up old job horror stories with that little tale. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, provide just a little bit of uh, solace or just something to think about if you're ever stressed at work. Think about, you know, having... 1300 people be reliant on you and you having no ability to solve the problem um because yeah doesn't get much worse than that i mean i guess on a bigger scale you know if it was like a hundred thousand people at a festival and this happened it would be worse or if it was like on tv or something but i mean that one was pretty pretty stressful um so yeah i want to wrap it at that we are about 40 minutes in so i'm gonna cut it but job horror stories if you have any that you want to share let us know on instagram or twitter at nrs underscore show or via email at not rocket science show at gmail.com 
And if you would like to leave a review of this podcast, as usual, um, please do so on the App Store. It would be much appreciated. All right, guys, that is all I got. Thank you guys for listening once again. And as always...